Well, good morning, everybody. Can we give a hand to our worship and our tech teams and all they do to make this happen? I am Mike Palmer. For those of you who I have not met, I'm the pastor of care here at LifePoint. And it's good to see so many of you here in person. And as always, we are glad that you, is also, you have also joined us online. We thank you also for not just being here, but also inviting people to come back to church and to take a look at us online from wherever you are. Um, today, we are continuing our journey through our summer series, and it is called, of course, Get Your Life Back. Um, this is also Get Your Life Back, as most of you know, the title of a book by John Eldridge that we're using as a resource, and we've also invited you to read with us throughout the summer. Now, before I go any further, I'm just interested in knowing uh, of all of you who were here last week and maybe even viewed online, how many of you were really blessed by that message that we heard last week? Amen. Amen. Thank you. It was an exciting message. I, I was telling people during the week, right message from the right guy at the right time. And it was just really nice. If you have not Listen to that message. I want you to go back. I encourage you to listen to Titus's message, our next senior pastor, and uh, just listen to the things he said. One of the things I want you to listen for in there, I just wanted to just kind of put a little emphasis on this. He, um, he challenged us or encouraged us to practice three actions that he's practicing himself. And he said, these are actions uh, that invite God into our significant life transition moments. And they are grieve, celebrate, and hope. Now, I'm not going to go into any details because I want you to go ahead and listen to how he connects that to his sermon and how he uh, details those three things, how he outlines them. But uh, hope, uh, grief, celebrate, and hope are the things that he wants us to put into practice, those actions. Well, today, the uh, title of today's message is Remembering Who You Love. And we're going to look at Proverbs verse, uh, chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, where Solomon says these words, Trust in the Lord, with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding in all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. Now, the title, of course, is, again, is remember who you love and the who we're talking about in today's message is God. Now, with that in mind, somebody may ask the question, why do I have to be encouraged or reminded to remember that I love God. And that's a legitimate question considering uh, being reminded to remember something implies that you would forget to love God. And there are a lot of us in here, maybe all of us who would say, I would never stop loving God, right? Well, what Eldridge is getting at, the point he's making when he says, remember uh, who you love and, and that who being God, is that we may not intend to forget about our love for God and his love for us. But there are moments in life that we face. There are challenges that are brought on by certain circumstances when we can um, question or even doubt that very love. No matter how strong your faith is, there are things out there that can cause us to question and even doubt our love for God and his love for us. And it's in those moments, in those moments of doubt, when our response can cause things to go very right or very wrong. It's in those moments when we need to be reminded to remember who we love and who loves us, and the who we're talking about is, say it with me, God. Thank you. If you say Jesus, you're a winner too. <laughs> so we're straight with that, who, the who is God. The other thing I want us to um, just kind of be clear on as we move through the message is what we mean by doubt. 
And in my years of pastoring, I have come across a number of people who have, uh, you know, been dealing with some doubt for various reasons. And usually they've fallen into two categories. There's a category of skepticism when you doubt the, the truth of something or someone. And then there is vacillating. Vacillating was just wavering between two opinions or multiple opinions or actions. Now, the skepticism happens um, again. As strong as our faith is, there are situations that can get so bad that we can even doubt the truth or the reality of Jesus Christ. But for most of us, we fall into the vacillating uh, part of doubt or way of doubt when we're just being influenced by uh, God, but at the same time, we're being influenced by these other forces in the world. One of the good ways to see that, that was a pretty cool light change there, wasn't it? <laughs> Let there be light. Um, where was I? You know? There you go. Thank you, doubt. There we go. Um, yeah, and it just keeps on going. Thank you. They just keep messing me up. You guys are playing with me back there. So it's a test because Joe's away and now he's, he's orchestrated all this to test me and see if I can focus and see if I will doubt that I can get through this message, right? Let's talk about doubt. So one of the ways that, um, one of the ways that uh, we can clearly see doubt is in the story of, um, in Matthew chapter 14, when Jesus walks on water. Uh, and Peter walks as well, right? In that story, you know, the disciples are in the boat. They're caught in a storm. And um, Jesus goes, he comes out of the mountain, he was praying, and he starts to walk toward them. And they think he's a ghost. They are terrified. And he says, hey, guys, it's me. Take courage. And Peter says, well, make me to come walk to you on the water. He says, come. Peter gets out of the boat. He's walking on the water towards Jesus. The story says he saw the storm. He begins to sink. He cries out. And in verse 31 of chapter 14 of Matthew, it says, immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. And he says, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And in that moment of doubt, you can see the vacillating doubt. Because some have argued that there was this, um, he doubted Jesus. But I would argue that it was the vacillating doubt where he was just wavering between two things. I don't know how you doubt the guy who just gave you the power to walk on water. You know, and he was coming to him. He's he's Jesus for real. And so that kind of doubt, he wasn't doubting uh, the reality or the truth of Jesus Christ. It was just that something else got his attention and began to influence him. Remember, Peter said, uh, make me to walk to you. And so he was going to Jesus, much like have you ever taught a kid how to skate? Uh, yeah. You, you, when you teach a kid how to skate now, many of you, because you have to be going backwards, you might not want to be on skates yourself. But a lot of times if you teach a kid how to skate and you're pulling them with their hands or uh, by their hands, um, once you let them go, a lot of times what the kid will do is they'll look at you and then they'll look at the skates and then they'll look at you and they'll look at the skates and look at you. And that's what I believe Peter had to be doing as he's walking on water. He's looking at where he's going, but he's looking at how he's doing it. And it takes a lot of faith to do that. But then even in that moment of faith, as he's walking towards Jesus, doing exactly what Jesus gave him the power to do, something else catches his attention. He remembers he's in a storm and now the storm has that influence and that influence causes some doubt because he's wavering between the two. And that's where a lot of us stand when we experience doubt. 
that we just kind of waver between what the truth of Jesus Christ and what he has us doing, what he's given us the ability to do, and some things in this world that we're living in that just begin to influence us. And then it opens the door, it cracks it just a little bit for that doubt to come into our lives. But whatever you're feeling, however the doubt comes in whatever form, whether it's skepticism or vacillating, uh, the key in that moment when you feel that doubt is to turn your love towards God. John Eldridge puts it this way in his book. He says, turning our hearts toward God in love opens our being to receive him like no other practice. And it is a practice, something we consciously and actively engage in through the moments of our day to day. And I love how he puts this because he reminds us that it is something we have to practice and we practice things we want to get better at. And the idea today is for us to get better at turning our hearts towards Jesus. Because just as much as things get harder in the world to deal with, we've got to get better and stronger at turning our hearts towards God when we are influenced by those things that just catch our attention in the world and in our day to day lives. So what I want to do today is just share with you a few things that we could practice um, that will help us to practice every day, remembering to love God in those moments and remembering also that he loves us. And so the first thing, looking at Proverbs chapter three, verses five and six, the first thing I want to encourage you to do is to remember to love God in solidarity with him. Solomon says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Now, the idea he is conveying to his son and to us here is that trusting God with all your heart is to firmly and confidently attach or connect yourself to him. And this is a necessary step in, in getting our lives back. It is a necessary step in getting a handle on living as followers of Jesus Christ in what Eldridge calls a world gone mad. Now, I was thinking about this um, a couple weeks ago, uh, the whole idea of putting our confidence and our faith in somebody else, just our complete confidence. And strangely enough, and you guys know as much as I am a San Francisco 49ers fan, this is the guy who came to mind as I was thinking about how we put our confidence in people. And you'll see him on the screen in a second here. But I want you to you recognize who that is. Yeah, somebody knows. You can say his name. It's OK. It's, a, it's church. And he needs the publicity. We know he needs it. So, yeah, go ahead and just say his name so that everybody knows who he is. This is Justin Tucker, for those who don't know. But it's not just about him. What was really interesting is the moment. Because I don't know if anybody remembers that moment. September 26, 2021. I remember it because it was my mom's birthday and the birth date of the United States Army Military Police Corps. I remember those things. So on that day, he set a record and kicked a 66-yard field goal. Now, what's interesting about that for me, and I went back, I was watching, you know, film on it, um, like I'm a football player, uh, you know, I was... <laughs> YouTube is not like they sent me film. It's like Jim film. <laughs> I was, uh, I just went back and checked it out. And what I noticed, though, now you've seen these game-winning field goal attempts at the end of the game. It doesn't matter whose team it is. Normally, it could be, a, it didn't have to be a 66-yard field goal. It could be a 30-yard field goal, 40-yard field goal, uh, chip shot, as they call some of them. And what you normally see is if you look at the sideline is guys are on their knees. They're either praying or they're uh, they appear to be praying and they're locked arm in arm, heads down, heads up. 
And you can see this this intensity on the sidelines. And I would even say that at home, there are people who are praying that their kicker kicks a field goal, especially if that kicker is not very good. They're probably praying. But one of the things I went back and looked at, at, the, at the, the, the tape of this moment as much as I could. And it was interesting that there wasn't a lot of that going on on the Ravens sideline. There were a few guys, like three maybe, who were on their knees praying. But for the most part, people were standing there. Do you know why? Because they expected Justin Tucker to make the kick. Why? Because he had proven time and time and time again that he was consistent, that he was accurate. And what he did all the time was something that led to victory. The only question anybody may have had was whether he could kick it the 66 yards. Nobody, nobody questioned his accuracy. As a matter of fact, if you go back and watch it, you remember it hit the crossbar. Look at where it hit the crossbar, almost in the middle between the goalposts, he is, he is extremely accurate and extremely consistent. And that is why so many of us who are fans and so many of his teammates had confidence in him because of what he had proven every day, every week, every game. There was no doubt, nothing but confidence. And I'm not comparing Justin Tucker to God at all. That is not my point. <laughs> My point is that over time, if this Royal Farms coffee drinking place kicker <laughs> has earned your confidence by displaying a consistency that has repeatedly led to victory, then certainly God, who the Bible says gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ, is deserving of our complete confidence. Amen. I'm assuming that's for God and not for Justin. <laughs> but simply saying, moving, pushing it a little further, simply saying that we have confidence in God just isn't enough. You see, our loving trust in him that more firmly connects us to him should be done with the goal of coming into solidarity with him, coming into agreement with him, coming into harmony with God, because when we come into solidarity, when we come into agreement with God concerning our own personal issues, we should also come unselfishly into agreement with his will concerning the issues of others. Remember, according to Jesus, we are responsible for loving God, for loving our neighbor as ourselves and for taking that love and going out and making disciples for him. And it is in those moments when we have doubts that creep into our lives, they can get in the way of our expressing our love and going out and fulfilling our responsibilities to make disciples. And so remember, in remembering to love God in solidarity with him and with his kingdom, with the work that he wants all of us to do to further the gospel of Jesus Christ, God is able to address our own personal feelings of doubt when we take them to him in a way that not just takes away the doubt, not only takes away the doubt or removes it, but also and more importantly, in that moment, God also prepares and equips us even more to navigate the world that we are in, but not of with discernment and a desire to continue going out and making disciples, being motivated and influenced by the love we have for him and our love for one another. 
And this is important for me, and I hope it's important for you, because being in solidarity with God and experiencing that love for him and for others um, is beneficial in us going out and making disciples because we never know where God is going to send us to do that. If you go back to part one of this series, Joe opened up by talking about some things that we're having to deal with. And he, he started with COVID and he says, if that wasn't enough, and he had a list of things that he talked. And among that list, he said, we are dealing with racial tensions, political toxicity, mass shootings, and what he called gender volatility. Now, I want to encourage you. And he wasn't saying that we avoid these things. He was just saying these are things that we are facing, things we're dealing with, things that we are challenged by. But when we come into solidarity with God, what happens, I believe, is that God then uses us. He equips us to go in and have loving conversations about these types of things, taking him into the conversations with us so that we're not avoiding these conversations, but we're, we're bringing Jesus into the conversation about these things so that we can influence people even in those situations. Amen? And so let's be in solidarity with him, not just pertaining to our own stuff, but we've got to be ready to be in agreement with him in terms of what he wants us to do in the lives of others, wherever he may send us. And so love God in solidarity with him. But also, we want to love God in submission to him. The verse goes on to say, in all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. Now, in some versions of the Bible, it says that um, in all your ways, acknowledge him and some other, there's other language. But no matter what the language is, when, the, uh, when Solomon says that we have to submit to him or acknowledge him, what he's really telling us specifically is that we are submitting to God's knowledge of man, God's knowledge of us. In other words, we're submitting to the fact in those moments when we take our doubt to him that he knows us better than we know ourselves and he knows what's best for us better than we know that ourselves. And with God knowing his knowledge of us, one of the things that God knows, and, um, you know, I find myself being convicted of this sometimes, is that there are times when we, what we really, what we really want when we ask for his guidance is for him to guide us in the way we want to go. Somebody just say amen. Right. And it's okay. Because the Bible says, Proverbs 16, 9 says, um, oh, where is it? I lost my place. What does he say? Oh, we can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. This is the way it's put in the New Living Translation. We can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. Now, when I said that, you know, we want God to lead us in the way we want to go, um, I don't want you to think of that as a completely negative thing, because a lot of times when we go to God with our plans, we've prayed about it. We've considered it. We've uh, even con included those who should be included, and we've excluded people who should not be included in the plans. And so we've prepared and we've thought through it. But when, even in that, even when we make our plans, we have to take them to him, knowing that he knows what's best for us, and we've got to be able to submit to whatever changes he might want to make in the plans that we're prayerfully brought to him. We can map our course prayerfully and thoughtfully, but it's up to God if those plans are carried out. And if those plans are carried out, it's up to God whether or not they are accomplished pain-free or painful. And so we don't know what God wants to do with us. So we take him, we take our plans to him. But it says not only do we submit to him, but if we do so, he will make our path straight. Now, I love this uh, line because 
when Solomon says that God will make our path straight, he's talking about literally straight in terms of uh, becoming ethically, ethically, I was going to say ethnically, ethically and morally upright. And so when it comes to being ethically and morally upright, being better equipped to choose between right and wrong and to behave uh, better than we even do now, um, it means that on that path, if the path is designed to make me better, if the path is designed to make me upright morally and ethically, if the path is designed to help me to behave better, then there are going to be times on that path that God leads me on um, that I will encounter situations along the way that are going to challenge me to choose between God's guidance and my own understanding. You see, we get better at choosing right and wrong by having to choose between right and wrong. And so Along that path, if we're thinking God's going to make our path straight or make our path clear, that's not the that's not the point. The point is he's going to put us on the on the path that's going to make us stronger in our faith and our walk with him. And along that path, we're going to have to make some decisions. But there was a guy. uh, His name is uh, W.F. Adeney. He was a he was a theologian back in the 19th century, the end of the 19th century. And I I want to share something with you that he said that really hit me. He said, God has given us the dangerous privilege of a larger liberty and the serious responsibility of voluntarily choosing or rejecting his guidance. You see, we have a choice. We can choose it or we can we can we can reject it. You see, God makes our path straight, but we have to choose whether or not we're going to continue walking along that path. It's easy to start. The challenge is continuing along the path when we have to make those tough choices that are going to make us stronger in our relationship with him and with others, which brings me to the last point I want to make. We talk about loving God in solidarity with him, loving God in submission to him, but also we have to love God in suffering for him. As we trust God along the path on which he guides us and, you know, we come to those moments when we are responsible for voluntarily choosing to either follow his guidance or reject it. There are times when God will allow us, and this is something I can testify to personally. Along that path, there are times when God is going to cause us to make a choice. But in making that choice, he's going to clearly show us the suffering that is associated with submitting to his way. Anybody ever been there? Yeah, well, God will show you something. And a lot of times you don't see it. But there are times when he says, I want you to do this, but I need you to see very clearly that there's going to be some pain associated with it. And that's where a lot of us say, I don't know about that, God. But that's when we really have to submit to him. That's when we have to suffer in him and turn our love towards him. And the way to make it through those moments, the way to continue moving productively along those paths is to do two things. To remember every day, with every step you take through your suffering, to love God. And number two, remember every day, with every step you take towards your suffering, that God loves you. And if we can remember those two things, that God loves us and that we remember to turn our love to him, then we can make it at least a step at a time as we move through the suffering 
that is along the path that he set us on. The Bible tells us he will never leave us nor forsake us. And so if he let us see the, the suffering and he knows it's there and he's moving us toward it, then he certainly will get us through it. Amen. In James chapter one, verses two and three, he says, dear brothers and sisters, and I leave you with this. When trouble comes your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. I want you to look at that for just a minute because he says, consider it an opportunity for joy. And he talks about your endurance having a chance to grow. And so there's an opportunity for great joy. There's a chance or an opportunity for growth. The joy and the growth, we sometimes look at that as being automatic. But what the scripture says is that is that there's an opportunity for us to experience joy. There's an opportunity for us to experience the growth. And what determines whether or not we experience the growth and the joy is how we respond to the testing. And the trouble. John Eldridge says we live in a world gone mad. And so whatever comes our way. Whatever testing we find ourselves experiencing, whatever trouble comes our way, make sure that we respond to it by remembering who you love and remembering who loves you. Let's pray. God, our Father, we thank you for just blessing us to um, just come together and worship with you today. Um, or worship with each other in you. And I just pray that as we just kind of walk through life, as we you know, face certain challenges that are brought on by the things in the world, that we remember first and foremost to turn our hearts to you so that we can respond in a way that glorifies you and that lets people see that we are Christ-like influencers, that we are followers of Jesus Christ who are determined to make disciples, to spread the gospel. And I just pray that we can come into solidarity with you, God, in agreement with you so that we can learn to love in those situations that have caused us to doubt and even to have conversations in love with people who are caught in the thick of the things that we see going on in the world. Help us to be the influencers that you want us to be in situations that are comfortable and those things that are uncomfortable. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.